Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specride para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios. Now that we've had time to calm down from the Senior Bowl and we're starting to look at the Super Bowl, I want to go back over something that our guy Ray Filippato wrote when he was down in Mobile, Alabama. Because on the North Shore Drive podcast, we like to stick to the details, and Ray talked about the kind of cornerbacks the Steelers may be looking at in the NFL draft. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Jim Bayon's comments about Pitt over the weekend and the team that Pitt has become in Pitt basketball in the ACC. Also, the Penguins and Ron Hextall's commitment on moving or not moving anybody, all right here in the North Shore Drive podcast. It's the Monday episode. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive podcast, a show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, hosted by Christopher Carter. And welcome to the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined today by Ray Fittipato. We'll also have Noah Hyams and Andrew Destin, but we start with Ray. Remember, you can always find this show on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and especially on YouTube. Like this video if you saw it on YouTube. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of our daily content and the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday episodes of the North Shore Drive podcast. As I said, we're joined by our Steelers beat writer, Ray Fittipato. is back. Calm down after being in Mobile for a week. We're glad to see that you're out of a hotel room and back settled in at home. Ray, how's it going? Good, Chris. How was your weekend, man? I'm glad to be back after a uh, week down in Alabama. I hear that. My weekend was great. Pitt had a weekend off. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't have to cover a football game or a basketball game. I was just like, this is weird. But now we get to talk about some things that I think are really interesting with you coming back, one thing that you wrote, you wrote about the Steelers searching for a physical for physical corners at the Senior Bowl. Ray, something you know, we know Grady Brown, the Steelers' the, the secondary coach, was one of the defensive coordinators down at the Senior Bowl. We saw Mike, Mike Tomlin, something that you reported about. He was all over that place, talking to everybody, focusing on offensive linemen, but there was a focus on cornerbacks. And immediately when I hear someone say the Steelers are focusing on physical cornerbacks, something goes up, like a radar goes up, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I thought that the Steelers were going to want guys that force more turnovers, guys that are better at playing the football more so than tackling. That's the traditional Steelers way was to get a tackling cornerback and then worry about the ball skills afterwards. But I, I wonder, Ray, is there is what's the rhyme and reason behind focusing on this type of cornerback, and would that preclude preclude them from getting some of the better cornerbacks who showed good ball skills, like Christian Gonzalez, if he fell to them in the draft? Yeah, I mean, listen, there, there's nothing to say that uh, you cannot be a physical corner and have ball production, right? I mean, there, you know, there are plenty of cornerbacks in the NFL that um, you know have both of those traits. You know, I think what Grady Brown was getting at was okay. The Steelers play in the AFC North. They got to deal with Nick Chubb uh, twice. Uh, they got to deal with the Baltimore Ravens twice, and uh, that includes not only containing uh, Lamar Jackson, being able to tackle him on the perimeter, but they can get pretty heavy when they hand it off um, to their running backs as well. 
Um, and, and then just, you know, the AFC overall, you know, Joe Mixon, if he's back, I mean, there are some good running backs um, in the AFC North. But, you know, w- when I wrote that story, people kind of freaked out. Oh, we don't, we don't need another physical corner. We want ball production. Well, the Steelers have plenty of ball production in 2022, right? I mean, they, they tied for the NFL lead in interceptions with 20. Um, now, I understand a lot of those came from Minka Fitzpatrick. That's probably not going to change. You know, I think Levi Wallace had, what, three or four. Cam Sutton had a couple. Um, so they could certainly use more ball production on the outside, but they still led the NFL um, in interceptions last season. So I, I think what Grady was saying was we want a well-rounded corner. We're not looking for that guy who could, uh, who's going to go out there and be that shutdown corner. If he can't tackle, they, they don't want that. They just want a well-rounded guy, and I think – you know, in an ideal world, that's probably um, the type of corner that they're going to draft um, here in a couple months. It's very – I can definitely see that. Guys like Devin Witherspoon, uh, the, the Illinois corner, who has shot his way up in the, uh, the, the the general scouting reports and standings of the corner this cornerback class, he is certainly a tackler, and those guys are there. But I also think it's – I, I wonder this, if when we're, when we're talking about who they're looking at in the senior bowl, if because – None of the the first round cornerbacks were there. Christian Gonzalez, Joey Porter Jr., uh, Kelly Ringo, uh, Cam Smith, Devin Witherspoon, all those guys, they weren't there. It was more so of your middle round guys, your second round guys, maybe in like Kyubu Kelly, Julius Brents, Tyreek Stevenson. Those were the caliber of guys. And I, I think there could be logic behind, you know, if one of those top corners came to them at 17 naturally and they weren't the best tackler, but they were great, maybe you do pick those guys. But a guy that you pick in the third and fourth round, better be able to tackle because I, I, do, I do kind of feel you on that because you, you are playing in a division where, yes, you know what? You got to worry about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and those guys, but the Steelers' emphasis has always been stop the run first, trust your pass rush to get home and be in position in, in the secondary. You're right. The Steelers led the NFL in interceptions, and it wasn't like they had Jalen Ramsey at the cornerback position. Yes, they had Baker Fitzpatrick and Cam Sutton had a strong year, but – it's kind of been their system right now. And I think Terrell Austin has built a defense that prioritizes them having those opportunities to make plays in the football. I think it'll be interesting how they look forward to, to building this secondary with younger picks and building this defense with younger picks. And I, and I think, you know, the importance of re-signing Cam Sutton, um, I cannot um, overstate that enough. Um, yes. He gives you versatility, right? So right. you don't have to be pigeonholed into drafting like that prototypical outside corner, right? Like what if you're sitting there at 17 or 32 and you have an opportunity to draft uh, Branch uh, out of Alabama or Antonio Johnson? Those guys are kind of like slot corner safeties, hybrids, linebackers. You know, those are guys who are great in run support. If you look yeah. at Branch, I mean, Branch was excellent. Um, with ball production too. And, uh, you know, you look at Antonio Johnson, 6'3". Um, now he's a different type of slot corner. Um, you know, they, he's not that Arthur Mollette, Mike Hilton type of a of a slot corner, but you could do a lot of different things with him on the inside with, you know, run support and, uh, you know, playing him at safety, playing him at slot corner. So there are those types of guys too that let's say they draft O-line or D-line at seventeen and you miss out on the Joey Porters and the Christian Gonzalez's and the Devin Witherspoons in the top half of the first round, 
maybe you just make it work by saying, okay, Cam Sutton, you're going to be outside. Um, Levi Wallace for another year, you're outside. And then we got this chess piece, um, like, you know, like with a branch or an Antonio Johnson at 32 or even another guy at 49. So um, they're going to have options. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I just can't stress how important it is they get Cam Sutton under, under contract because, Chris, if they don't, then they would really be forced into, okay, if we don't have Cam Sutton, we got to go out and draft a corner at 17. Right. Or, you know, we have to go out and, and make a move, maybe even trade a pick or two to, to make sure you get that guy. So that's kind of the most important thing of this offseason um, when I look at the cornerback class and how the Steelers roster is going to shape up. No, I agree with you. Cam Sutton's kind of a must because you know because I think that Cam Sutton, as he as he plays right now, he's obviously the leader of the cornerback room, and he's kind of taking that over from Joe Hayden. Uh, but not only is he the leader, like you said, he's their best production guy. And if you lose him, you have to double dip and go get two different guys. And by having Cam Sutton, you have a guy that you know fits into your defense, and he can play multiple roles. He can switch between things. And I think with the way that Cam plays, and you cover Cam Sutton, that guy talks a lot. That guy knows what he's talking about. He, yeah. He's a guy who thinks through the game. I think having that kind of guy groom your next cornerback that you develop up through the ranks, I think that would be so important for the future of this secondary, the future of this defense, developing guys. But, Ray, you've got a mock draft coming out, your first mock draft official coming through the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette this Wednesday. You know, I don't want you to tell us who you're picking, but give us a little preview of what you're thinking over here. Yeah, so right now we're taping this early Monday morning. So by Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to have to have something to my editors. And really what I'm toying with right now, Chris, is, you know, O-line, D-line, or corner at 17, and then what scenarios follow at 32 and 49. So mm. I'm kind of thinking those three positions – 17, uh, 17, 32, and 49 in some order. And I just don't know the order yet. So that's kind of what I'm working my way through now. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great year for the Steelers to have, you know, what is it, four picks in the top 85 in the top 120, I think. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to have an opportunity. They got more draft capital, I think. I still have to look this up. More draft capital in the top four rounds than I can ever remember recently, wow. uh, just the number of picks. So they have a lot of needs, and they're going to have a chance to address them. And uh, um, so I'm looking forward to Wednesday morning and, uh, um, you know, seeing what I come up with. Check out Ray's work. He's going to have his mock draft up on the post on the Post-Gazette at post-gazette.com where you can check out his mock draft and where he thinks the Steelers should go with his first edition. We have a lot of time before that, so I'm sure you'll see more mock drafts from him, Jerry Dulac, Brian Batko, all the team here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray, thanks so much. We'll be back shortly with Noah Hiles. I want to talk to Noah, my pit buddy here on the pit beat, about the Jim Bayheim comments because that kicked up a whole stir this weekend about Pitt. And it'll give us a chance to talk about a little bit of Pitt basketball here on the North Shore Drive podcast. We'll do that in a minute. But first, we've got to talk about our friends at Valley Pool and Spa because they sponsor this podcast. And I'm telling y'all, the weather just got nice again in Pittsburgh, getting a little bit of 50 degrees, but it's February. Don't be fooled. It's going to get cold again outside, and the best way to deal with the cold while being outside is getting a new hot tub, a swim spa, or a sauna right in your own home, and the best place to do that is Valley Pool and Spa, because when you get a hot tub or a swim spa, you can go to Valley Pool and Spa, and you can find them right right in your home, and it helps you relax. You can also get a Finlay Osana, and those are one of the best things to help you relax in your own home. 
kind of de-stress, get away from what's been what's been messed with you throughout the week and feel relaxed and refocused going into the rest of your week. So find all the, the hot tubs, swim spas, at saunas at valleypoolspa.com. That's valleypoolspa.com for all your spas, saunas, and hot tubs. We're back here on the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, and we're switching topics, and we're switching guests. My partner in crime, Noah Hiles, the two pit beat guys, are here on the North Shore Drive podcast. Noah, how you doing today, sir? I'm well. What a what an eventful Monday morning we've just experienced, Chris. It certainly has been. Both of us were on the ACC coaches calls that happen every Monday, and we report to you guys about of course, the big topic was Jim Bayheim's comments that he made about Pitt and Wake Forest and other programs and such, but saying that they, quote unquote, bought teams. And Noah and I were there to ask the questions. And Jeff Capel was basically like, yep, I, I'm not going to say much about that. You can have whatever opinions you want to have. But Noah, I, I thought it was really interesting when, when we got to ask him about, you know, just say like, hey, was there money involved to get the guys that you got? And his answer was kind of like what you and I just thought to ourselves about the construction of this roster. Yeah, I mean, you asked that question, Chris. You asked, you know, I started the press conference by asking him for his reaction. He didn't have much of a reaction. He said everyone's entitled to their own opinion. You followed up by asking, you know, was NIL a topic of discussion when you were bringing in these players from the transfer portal, specifically the three starters that Pitt has from the portal this year with Blake Henson, Greg Elliott, and Nellie Cummings. And Jeff really broke it down. He said, you know, if you look, if you look at things, he said Blake hasn't played basketball in two years. Nellie's coming from the Patriot League. And Greg Henson, or, or Greg Elliott, excuse me, uh, wasn't a starter at Marquette. So he was basically trying to say in the politest way possible, these dudes weren't super high-value prospects that right. other programs were desperate to have. While I'm sure all of them had other offers, this this was within Pitt's realm of possibility. This wasn't a major upset that Pitt landed each of these guys. And the reason they've all worked out here is because of the system that Capel has put in place and they've been able to gel together. And I, I appreciated his openness kind of saying that because that's, like you said, Carter, uh, something a lot of people thought. It's exactly what I thought. Um, and, yeah, he kind of just hit that nail right on the head. I mean, it just, it makes sense. Like, like when you look at this roster, everybody was picking, not everybody, but most people were picking Pitt to finish in the bottom of the ACC. Yeah. I get it if Pitt had like three five-star dudes out of nowhere, like, all right, well, okay, what what happened here? Right. But that's that's not what's happened here. You know, Blake Hinson, like you said, hadn't played in two years. Greg Elliott wasn't a starter for most of his time. Nelly Cummings came from Colgate. Colgate! No right. one, the, the, no one's buying houses for for for, for those type of, type of type of players. And again, that's not to discount what those guys have done because they've been awesome for Pitt this season, and they are, they have proven that they're talented guys. But they were not people that Pitt had to outbid, in, you know, for millions of dollars or anything like that. Uh, you know, whereas like certain receivers that went to USC and the well, rumors that followed them. And that's that's what I was going to point out. I mean, if you want examples of teams that bought wins essentially since the nil and transfer portal era started look at usc football it it, it got a brand new head coach a bolitnikoff winning receiver and a heisman trophy winning quarterback all in one offseason and 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 that that 
is thanks to the new rules that are in place or lack thereof when it comes to the restrictions connected to that legislation. Um, but yeah, as far as Pitt goes, there, there's, I don't know. That's that to me, those comments that, that Jim made, listen, you can't, you can't knock Bayheim as far as his longevity and his yeah. legacy, five final fours, national champion. Um, but the reality is this program is not where he wants it to be. Syracuse basketball is nowhere near where it was when it was in the Big East. And he sees other teams finding success through the new avenues that are available to build a team. And it's frustrating to him. It's frustrating that one of his oldest rivals throughout his 47 years, Pitt, is able to figure things out. And I think he kind of misspoke. He, he mentioned, both Capel and Beheim mentioned that there was a conversation between the two Saturday evening, just hours after that story was posted by ESPN. Neither were willing to share what was discussed. But, I mean, he, he seemed very apologetic, which for Jim Beheim is a, is a very rare thing. So I think he understands that he misspoke a bit. Yeah, and I do wonder, you know, it was, it was interesting how, you know, uh, Steve Forbes of Wake Forest said, you know, oh, it was just a mistake. Jim was pleasant by it. And Jeff Capel was just like, yeah, we talked. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, hmm. Like, you yeah. know, wonder, with, wonder with if, if that went around the same way. But bottom line is, Pitt's a program that I, I just pulled up our projections that, that we made from back in the season. Uh, you had them at 17 and 14, 8 and 12 in the ACC. I had them at 18 and 13, 11 and 9 in the ACC. They're beating both of those projections. Yeah. Like, so for even for us, and the, we were on the upper side of it. If you looked around media, most people had them with another losing season, bottom tier ACC. It's just, it, it seems crazy for, for me to, to for, for me talking about like, wow, Pitt bought players. And also the irony of Jim Beheim saying that when Judah Mintz, his best player right now, was committed to Pitt last year and then switched to Syracuse. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say that Syracuse paid anybody, but it's like if you're going to say that about other programs, then you got to kind of be aware that you know people could say that about you or about players like Jerry McNamara or Carmela Anthony over the years. It's just I, I felt like that was a that was a sour grapes comment for well, him, and I get it. He's a he's a national champion. He's been around since uh, you know since playing John Thompson in the eight, like in the eight, before like, John Thompson. Ever. Huh? He's been around before John Thompson. Like that's how old he is. He's yeah. a geez, it's just, that's he's old. I get it. Yeah, but it's just like he he let that one slip. But let's get to talking about Pitt here, Noah. They're coming out of a bye week. They've had time to kind of rest now. They've got eight games left in the regular season. They sit at sixteen and seven. Now this upcoming game against Louisville, they should be. It'll be a story if they lose. If they win, yeah. if that's a yeah, yeah. But they they, sh- they should crush this team and or you handle them soundly. But what is a, a solid projection for how Pitt basketball finishes this year? I think with 22 wins in the regular season is, is more than doable. Uh, with, with, if you look with 17 wins now, that means I'm not a huge math guy, but that would mean a 5-3 and three finish. That's correct. 17 wins, 8 games remaining. Yeah, so 5-3, and three, but, and I think it should be better than that. I mean, 6 of their remaining 8 games um, – I don't know. I butchered all that math, but I still think I still stand on 20, 22 wins regardless. Um, I just think out of these eight games that they have remaining, there's not a lot of challenges. They have two quad one or quad one opponents, both of them being on the road against Virginia tech later this month. And then the regular season finale at Miami. 
I think Pitt's capable of winning at one of those, if not both, considering the atmosphere they just won in in Chapel Hill last week. Um, I will say that both Miami and Virginia Tech are playing a lot better basketball than the Tar Heels are right now. Um, but if you if you don't include those two two games, the other six are are against the bottom of the barrel of the ACC, and it's it's about avoiding upsets. It's about beating teams like Louisville, Georgia Tech. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, Syracuse, you know, Boston College, these, these programs that you shouldn't have trouble beating, getting revenge against Florida State on the road Saturday. And if they can take care of business there, avoid a really ugly upset against another quad four opponent like we saw at home against Florida State last month, mm-hmm. pitch should be fine. I don't even think it's really on the bubble now. It's close to being back on the bubble if it has an ugly loss. But, you know, for, for a Panther team to be a half game out of first place, in the second week of February and with its NC and it's in the driver's seat, as far as it's NCAA tournament hopes that you couldn't have asked for much more. If, if you're someone who's stuck by this program through all of the lows that it's experienced in the past four years. I mean, this was a team like you mentioned in the preseason was picked 14th at the ACC tip off out of 15 teams. And it's, it's the opposite. It, instead of being second worst, it's currently right now second best in a power five conference, which I think is remarkable. And with all, all three of the ACC ranked teams, they have not, they have beaten so far. Yeah. Uh, coming all four now. Oh, four. Yeah. Cause yeah. now that NC state is ranked, Pitt has beat NC state before it was ranked, but now that NC state's ranked, it beat Virginia, North Carolina and Miami while they were all ranked at home. Um, I guess Duke was ranked at one point and Pitt didn't beat Duke. Same for Clemson, but yeah. Yeah. But still, I mean, again, those are important wins that I think add to the resume. I think one thing I was talking about with our friend Jerry DePaulo over at the trip, Jerry brought up how Wake Forest had 25 wins last season and didn't make the dance as a 25-win ACC team. But I went back through all of their wins last year, and none of them were over-ranked opponents at any point. And so I think Pitt just has a stronger claim with the wins that they have. But as you said, as I've said, they have to, to to seal the deal here. They cannot afford to drop. They can drop one, I think, one bad loss, maybe two. But after that, they got to shut it down. And if they lose any, if they do lose one or two of those games, they have to then sweep Miami and Virginia Tech, the two teams that I think will give them the biggest challenges down the stretch. Yeah, to make my final point, I mean, the mentality for Pitt basketball, and I'm sure that this is what it believes, is it shouldn't be about preserving a tournament resume, this team's a half game out of leading the ACC in February. It should be about wanting to finish strong. A 7-1 and one finish to the regular season likely wins an ACC regular season title. Crazy. You're going dancing if that happens. They're, they're also on the cusp of being ranked. They got 26 points in this latest AP poll. There are only a couple teams ahead of them that are about to crack, crack that top 25. If the wins keep coming, Pitt isn't just going to be worried about the bubble. It's going to be fighting for a really good position in the bracket. In order for that to happen, though, Chris, like we both said, the wins need to keep coming. We'll see all of that. You can ask us all questions for the Pitt Mailbag on either of our Twitter accounts. Check out Chris Carter and Noah Hiles. We're doing awesome things with the Pitt Beat, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I like our team here. There we go. Noah, thanks so much for joining us. We've got Andrew Destin talking Penguins. Did Ron Hextall make a move? His comments kind of shaded people in different directions. We'll break that down in just a minute here on the North Shore Drive podcast. But first, got to talk to you guys about Yinz's in the Berg. Yinz's in the Berg is the number one place to get all your Pittsburgh sports apparel, accessories, and much, much more, whether it's Steelers, Pirates, 
Sharks, Penguins, Pitt, anything Pittsburgh sports, they've got there. And you can go to Unions of the Bird because they have two different stores in the Strip District that you can visit throughout the week. Or you can check out their website, yinzerspgh.com. It's yinzerspgh.com to get all your Pittsburgh sports apparel at Yinzers in the Bird. Back here on the North Shore Drive podcast, your host Chris Carter here, and we switch now to Andrew Destin covering the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins, of course, coming out of the All-Star break, they've had their bye, they've you know had their chance to rest, and they play the Avalanche. And we'll get to that in a little bit with their Tuesday matchup at home against Colorado. But one of the big things that everyone's talking about right now is Ron Hextall's comments re- recently over the weekend, basically talking about how the Penguins, quote-unquote, don't feel pressure to make a trade, but... There's a chance that they could, but the problem that we've talked about all first half of this season was you knew when you were bringing back the Stars and you were loading up the roster they did to start this season, Andrew, we knew that the Penguins were going to have very little room to maneuver and they were going to have to pull off some stuff. What is the kind of trade that they can pull off right now as far as players that would be going somewhere and maybe not names, but the caliber of players they're looking to get back right now? Yeah, I mean, your guess is as good as mine, given the salary cap. And just a note there is, Ron Axtell talked about this, is that, you know, in prior years before the flat cap of the last couple of seasons, that he liked to keep a couple million, two million dollars of wiggle room to kind of maneuver with, and those days are certainly not here. Uh, right now, the Penguins have a million dollars just over that in cap space. That's a misleading figure, because that's with guys that are on long-term injured reserve, guys in injured reserve to kind of reduce that cap hit. They're right at that number. Uh, there's not much wiggle room of any kind, but um, one message was clear, and that was that the bottom six hasn't been doing it enough for the Penguins. I mean, you mentioned it there, Chris, that the top six line or the top six, top two lines, those guys have been getting it done, and they should, given the salaries that those guys are commanding. Um, for the most part, um, there's some players who maybe have been a little bit more frustrated with their play. We've seen this year where Brian Rust and Ricard Raquel have been flip flopped, kind of in hopes of sparking those units when needed. Uh, but the third and fourth lines, and I would say maybe more specifically the third line, those were points of emphasis yesterday and have been all season of the Penguins haven't been getting enough from those guys. And that third line would be an area where I would say uh, the Penguins might be looking to upgrade, but to do so is going to be uh, really tough and going to take some magician work on Ron Hextall's part because you got a 38-year-old center in Jeff Carter and Kasperi Kapanen and Brock McGinn who are under contract at least through next season I believe with McGinn, it's through the uh, 2024-25 campaign, and Kapanen just signed a contract before this season. So these are guys that they've shown that they believe in, at least financially speaking. Um, whether or not they can move any of them, whether or not they want to, uh, that, that's an entirely different question. But if they were to get somebody to try and bolster this current group of players on roster, I'd have to believe the third line is what they're kind of looking toward. The fourth line, there's plenty of guys that they've tried to plug in there and plenty of different moving parts who can kind of do what you're asking of that fourth line. Yeah, Teddy Bluger hasn't been as good as they would have liked this season, but he still does Teddy Bluger things like being an efficient penalty killer from that center spot. And Ryan Paling is back healthy and providing a spark again. And Josh Archibald looks like he's on his way back. So the fourth line, I don't think, is the area where they're looking to improve. It's that third unit. And for the most part, they're happy with their defensemen. It's that third line. The question is, can they do anything? And uh, Ron Hextall said he's ruling out the idea of attaching a first-round draft pick in a salary-dumping trade. But that's something that's not on the table. So 
unless they can do something else with a second round pick or lower or somehow work it where you can get some uh, alleviated cap space. Uh, it's going to be tough, but that third line is kind of what I'm looking toward and maybe the center spot because Jeff Carter is definitely taking a step back here in his age 38 season versus age 37. I mean, eventually, Father Tom always wins, right? But I, I think I, I can't. What, what's your what's your stance on Hectall's not wanting to use a first round pick? Because that's something that the Penguins did for years, just to kind of be like, "Hey, let's let's go get the piece. Let's go get the piece. Let's try to win now. Let's try to win now." This is a win now team. If it's going to do anything, like the, the, this, this isn't a team that anyone's picking to win the Stanley Cup. But at the same time, this isn't a team that you're keeping that's going. You're hoping is going to develop into a Stanley Cup winner in four years or something like that. These are all guys that are built for the now. And again, this is kind of the swan song that they signed up for when they brought all their stars back and, you know, kind of committed to this path. Is it a mistake to not give up the first round pick? Or do you see this as no, they need to kind of hold this line so that when that eventual step is taken, when Malkin and Crosby and Latang aren't here anymore, that the Penguins have the picks to kind of start their rebuild and not have to wait another decade or so before they actually become relevant again? Yeah, I think it's a tough balance. And I think it's somewhere in the middle, actually. And this is just, you know, total, you know, spitballing on my part. But I think it's that there's an understanding that there isn't much time left with these guys, but there might be a little bit more than we suspect. And the issues is right now, the salary cap of where they are as a franchise, there's not a whole lot they can do this year. But that's not to say they won't be bold and aggressive next, uh, this coming off, off season or the one after that, where you get some of those bad contracts off the books where you're hoping you can eventually move on from a Jeff Carter or somebody like that. I think the idea of win now is very much still there. They're kind of just banking on, hey, we've had a bunch of guys banged up. Tristan Jari's missed a bunch of time. Let's see what we can roll with once this group gets healthy and everybody's back and see what we got. And then evaluate in the offseason and see who do we keep, who do we move on from. I don't think it's a hesitancy to invest in next year or the year after. It's more hesitancy of, hey, we don't want to burn the house down for five years down the line. But that's not to say that they're playing the long game and they're wasting everybody's time from a Malkin, from a Crosby, from a Latang perspective. They know they've still got two, three more productive years, maybe more out of some of these guys. I mean, heck, they've surprised a lot of people with how well, you know, uh, for instance, Mal- Malkin has played this year. Um, I think it's more so just, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're still competitive next year and not burning that bridge because this is still a window. It's not, you know, Hey, you got two months left and then this is all over. I think it's, you're playing the short term long game, which is such a tough uh, act to balance, but I think it is kind of what they're going for. To me, it feels like five years down the line is kind of all, but uh, spoken for, we know how that's going to kind of go once these guys decide to call it quits. It's more so making sure that, Hey, when, uh, you know, Crosby's 40 years old and Malkin's 40 years old, that it's not these guys are playing for really bad hockey teams that have no shot. It's more so, can you do it in kind of a model just to, you know, relate it to prior teams of what the San Jose Sharks did at the end of the line with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, where those guys were still players on roster that were still productive. They weren't making the same amount of money, though, and they were parts of the puzzle versus right now what you have with Crosby, with Malkin, with the Tang. They are the puzzle, but pretty soon they're going to become parts of it. And you have to make sure that you can surround them with talent. Otherwise, it's going to be your classic case of, you know, a team that didn't sell quick enough. And I don't think they're trying to do that. I think they're just trying to maximize what they have. And right now they're kind of hamstrung and realizing, hey, there's not a whole lot we can do unless we sacrifice the future more than we need to. 
Yeah, I feel you on that. And, and one thing that the Penguins as an organization experienced before this run that they've been on for the past 16 years was, you know, after the Lemieux-Yager era, it was just hopelessness. I mean, I, I remember that time in Pittsburgh when, like, you know, people were giving away Penguins tickets because, you, you know, no one wanted to go. And, you know, it was there was a question of will the, Sanchi- the, San- will the franchise get sold? Um, and, I, you know, I think that the, you're trying to protect against being being in a situation like that in a few years when these guys completely age out of their out of their playing time, and that becomes a problem. So I, I definitely agree with you there. But let's take a quick look ahead. Tuesday night, they get the Avalanche. The Avalanche in the West are kind of where the Penguins are in the East. Both have 57 points and are sitting and are holding on to the eighth seed. So both are trying to stave off you know, pushes from other teams to take their playoff spot. Uh, you know, the Flames in the West are tied in, with 57 points with with uh, with the Avalanche, whereas the Sabres are a point behind the Pens. And so this isn't an in-conference game, but still it's an every game counts type of season when you're battling on that part of the, uh, um, that, that, that part of the, you know, that the standings for the Penguins, what do they need to do against the Avalanche Tuesday night to get to, to start, to start this second season, second half of the season off, right? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is you just got to be able to uh, make most of whatever hands you're dealt in terms of the players you got. If it's Casey to Smith in net, I mean, he talked about this yesterday. If he just wants to be as consistent as he possibly can, and that's predicated on what type of game the Penguins play. Um, you know, if you're playing this Colorado Avalanche squad like you are on Tuesday, uh, outgunning them is going to be really hard because they're back at healthy. Nathan McKinnon missed, you know, a handful, a dozen of games or so. He's back. We know the kind of talent he is. We know the kind of talent this Avalanche roster is top to bottom. I mean, look at what they accomplished last season. So I think if you're the Penguins, you're looking to probably play a tighter game, a little bit of a slower game, and you know, and that starts also with some solid play in net. So it takes two to tango. Um, Casey certainly didn't have the best month of January, but let's say for the sake of uh, you know argument that he's the guy who is in net as Tristan Jari still comes back day to day from that upper body injury. You need the guys in front of him playing solid, and you know the roster's getting healthier. Um, but slow the place of pl- pace of play a little bit, and you know it's going to be a gritty one if they're going to win this one. I'd be hard pressed to believe they're going to outgun the Avalanche, but hey, it's hockey. Everything surprises me. So my hypothesis could be totally wrong, and the Penguins win another wild one like they won against the Panthers a few weeks back, seven to six. So it's on the table. Uh, but I think this is an Avalanche team that <laughs> you know we know we know what they're capable of, and uh, if the Penguins are going to keep up with them. Got to be solid defensively before you worry about the offense. I agree with that, and I think that the Penguins are going to be in a position where eventually they're going to need to start with their, the games that they that they win or lose are going to feel a lot heavier on fans as the reality of you know the challenge to make to actually make the playoffs for a 17th year in a row are going to lurk around the corner. We'll see how that plays out, but we'll be talking about that with Matt Benzel on Wednesday when we're back here in the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks to Noah Hiles and Ray Fittipaldo for their comments on the Steelers and on and Pitt as we talked here on the Monday episode of the North Shore Drive podcast. Catch all of our coverage at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at post-gazette.com online. Thanks again for checking out the North Shore Drive podcast. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are hosted, and especially on YouTube. If you saw this video on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to this channel to get our daily content, as well as the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday episodes of the North Shore Drive podcast back Wednesday. Probably talking pens, more Steelers, and all things Pittsburgh sports right here on the North Shore Drive podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, 
click the link down below in the description.